Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the No BS Marketing Podcast. I'm Daniel Murray, and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the f*** up. It's very important to not be boring and you should really optimize to make sure you can read it through your own content before you've sent it out. So for me, if I've written something and if I'm like, wow, this is long or this is dragging, and then I know it probably isn't good for someone who cares even less than me. So don't be boring and like be careful not to be boring. What's up, everybody? For those who don't know us, we're uh, this is the live recording of the Marketing Millennials podcast. I'll give a short intro and then I'll pass it off to Ari. I'm Daniel Murray. I'm the founder of the Marketing Millennials. If you don't know the Marketing Millennials, we have a 650K community on LinkedIn, 100K newsletter subscribers. Um, our podcast is about to hit 500K downloads, top 10 marketing podcasts. Um, I'm also run media strategy at Workweek where I manage the creators, the marketing creators and the sales creators their media strategy and how to monetize their brands. Actually, one of the creators is my wife right here, Ari Murray, and I'll let let her give an intro about who she is. Hi, everybody. This is so cool. Very scary, but we're really excited to be here. I'm Ari Murray. Aside from being Daniel's better half, I am a creator of Go to Millions, which is my go-to-market love letter. It's all about e-commerce marketing and how to go to market in the right way. By day, I'm vice president of growth at an e-commerce agency called Sharma Brands. And by night, I do this. And we work on the marketing millennials. We have another entity called the sales millennials. And we just try to add so much to our plate just to see when we'll come bust. So we're really happy to be here. And thank you for taking the time. It means a lot. Yeah. So I want to get started, Ari. Why did you decide to get hop into the content creator round? I've always been behind the scenes of really cool people and doing really cool things. So I've, for most of my career, been under an NDA where I was helping uh, as an e-commerce professional, helping celebrities and their brands go to market. So a Shopify store manager, a e-commerce person who was never online, never even consuming online. And I'd always been forbidden from being online, basically, which was fine by me. But then I started to see Daniel and his little skyrocket to fame and all these fun opportunities that I knew I wanted to be part of. So we just went for it. But it definitely, for me, I've only been posting online since April 2022. So I'm very new and it's very fun. And I wish I had done it earlier. But at least now that I'm doing it, I have something to say because I've had all these years of practice doing other things that were the actual marketing and e-com that i can now talk about i just will give a little explanation this is up and coming in the the transition to creators to b2b marketing a lot of people are starting to slowly invest in and b2b creators but what the great thing is is we have really niche audiences the niche audiences are have captivated audience ari has 30,000 e-commerce professionals that subscribe to her daily, read her newsletter, consumer podcast. So it's a cool, cool space to go into. And I want to go into what do you think sets you apart from other niche creators in your, 
in your um, industry? I'm very lucky that I still have a very important day job. I don't write about past marketing experience. I write about what I worked on that day or that week. And I think for as long as I can keep that up, it'll be different because if you like write me on Twitter, I'll probably write you back the next day or the next night at like two in the morning. Like I can't just sit on Twitter all day and tell you for facts about marketing. I have to like go to my client meetings and do my launches. And so I think that is a differentiator just because I'm currently doing the thing that then I'll write and talk to you about tonight versus spending my day telling you about something I did six years ago that I'm still like trying to hawk. I think it's a current experience. And so it's very hard, but it's very fun because I get to still do the thing that I want to do, which is be in e-commerce. And then I get to tell people how I would recommend they go about it or learn from them at the same time. So it's like a daily lived experience. Yeah. One of the things we look for in B2B creators and what sets good B2B creators a apart from other B2B creators is expertise. Do they know they're, what they're doing? Are they actually practicing what they're preaching? That's one thing that we've, we've learned that different from industry creators, a marketing creator has to be in a role that already exists so people can build trust with their audience and stuff like that. But we're going to start breaking down each media property and how to start becoming a creator. But one, let's start, let's go into your newsletter, Ari. Um, one of the foundations of building as a B2B creator is a newsletter because it's capturing an owned audience. So let's go a little bit on, about how you think about your newsletter, how you think about writing your newsletter, the format of your newsletter. So I send three times a week. I send on Sundays, on Wednesdays, and on Fridays. And each one is very different. And the only one that follows a strict template is my Fridays because I promise a two-minute read. And every other one is as long as I think it should be, depending on what I have to say, and not one period or sentence or letter longer. And I am very aware that who's reading my newsletter is someone who either is very busy or who doesn't have a lot of patience for too much jargon or just basic. So I try to be as fun and as approachable, but... I'm very clear that I know that I know what I'm writing about. So you'll never see me waver on my opinion or on a software I recommend or on a launch that I hated or on something I'm about to buy. No matter what I write about, I'm very like careful to not act like I'm questioning what I have to say because I feel like it's very hard to be a woman in e-commerce. And I think that I'm not really given the grace and I don't want to take the grace of wavering in my opinion. I want to be very proud and also very confident in what I say because that's how I run my meetings. That's how I run my clients. That's the one thing I'm very careful of in the tone. And then the tone is fun and approachable and nice and hopefully really knowledgeable, but it's very confident and it's intentionally confident because I think it should be. For those who haven't read Go to Millions, Ari has probably the best tone of voice of everybody. She writes exactly how she talks, and I think that's what separates her from everybody else is everything that I hear her talk in person and how she acts in front of people is exactly how a newsletter is. It's sassy. You would describe it as pithy. Pithy. It's a pithy newsletter, and it brings exactly what her essence into the newsletter, and I think that's very key to your media property. The next phase that you just moved into is virtual events. So tell us a little bit of how you thought about these virtual events, why they're important for brand building, why they're important for community building. 
So for the first six months, we strictly wrote to go to Million. So the community was based only in email. I think it's really cool to grow that close to people that you've never spoken to. But I wanted them to hear my squeaky voice and I wanted to meet them in a new way. So since the end of January, once a week on Tuesdays on LinkedIn, we've been hosting a live. And LinkedIn is a safe place for us just because that's where we have our biggest online community. And it's also where we started creating even before newsletters and before Twitter or anywhere else that we now are appearing and it's always following the same format, which is million dollar ideas. And then with an expert that I personally work with, who we, we bring in to ask a set of questions to. And I think it's a really cool way to meet the same people that might hear your like perfected writing voice and then get to meet you live and see it's definitely the same person, but it's just, you know, the live version, which is very interesting. But uh, it's been a lot of fun. I'm still very much finding my legs with it. I would rather write to you than talk to you, but we're working on it. Yeah, and the last part is educational content. Uh, I'll explain why we're going down this after, but Ari started social to newsletter to virtual event, and now she's actually creating an educational content for our audience. Could you explain like how you thought about that? Why is it important? How are you thinking about it? So in my day job, we work with only seven to eight, nine-figure brands. So there's a bit of access that is required. You have to have a lot of money to pay our retainers and it's very expensive to work with our agency. But some of the knowledge we have in the audits we do and just the core basic strategy, I think could be helpful to go to millions. And so eventually we're going to be releasing um, like a one-on-one -on -one small cohort course where I will come in and you'll have two hours of my time and I will walk you through everything I think is broken about your website and then we'll go fix it and then we'll meet again and we'll talk about it one more time. And for me, I think that's really cool because the odds that I could be retained to work with you and our agency could work with you for my readership, it's not very likely. We only take on 10 to 12 clients at a time, but I could always give someone two hours of my time. So that's something that I'm really excited about. But I guess, Daniel, for you back to virtual events because that's where I got the idea. What do you think about them and how do they work for the marketing millennials? The way I think about virtual events is the best way to build thought leadership online with a community that can be live every single week to be involved. But also it's a great way to drive people from virtual event to live event. So Having a, a weekly virtual event is a great community builder, but it also keeps you top of mind to eventually bring someone to a live event where there's intention. If someone's going to attend a live event, that means your audience is willing to travel, take time out of their day, even buy a ticket like coming to this conference. South by Southwest has built intention for you to come to this conference. They've done enough trust with their audience to say, it's worth the price tag for someone to come to this. But for someone who's building a brand from the start, you need to do these little things like build on social first, then build a newsletter, then build virtual events. Once you've done build trust with your audience, then you can eventually get to these intentional events, educational products. Eventually, if you want to build a product for yourself. And I'll, I'll break down how I think about these, this funnel that Ari was just talking about. 
there's top of funnel content, which is social, which starts helping the way I think about it is get attention with your audience. So whether it's LinkedIn, wherever your audience is hanging out, LinkedIn, TikTok, YouTube, YouTube shorts, you have to build attention there and an audience there that trusts you enough to bring them to the next phase of your, your funnel, which is newsletter, podcast, virtual event. So you start with social, you bring them in middle funnel to virtual event, podcast, newsletter. Then once you've, you've shown that you have even more expertise, you know what you're saying, you build trust with your audience, then you could get them to start buying stuff from you. So coming to a live event, coming to a conference, buying an educational product, and then they have enough trust in you to maybe even buy a product from you that you recommend. So you have to think of it at different phases of the funnel. And Mark up here, we had a talk earlier, and the way we describe media companies is you have to start building attention before you build intention. So build attention, get people top of mind, before you can build trust with your audience. So we talked about what you're doing. How currently are you monetizing these different stages of the funnel? So my newsletter goes out three times a week and it always has an ad that we call a primary ad. It's in the masthead of the newsletter. It has the brand logo. It says going to millions with and then the brand's name. Then it has like a cheeky intro and then the ad unit, which is around 150 words. It has a CTA. It has a trackable link. And that's the monetization. My newsletter, I'm very lucky. It is basically sold out. So we've also added a secondary unit, a secondary ad, which goes after the content. So it's masthead, you know, cheeky intro, hopefully funny, maybe not. Then the sponsored ad, then the core meet, like hopefully the thing that they're going to learn that day maybe a meme, maybe a virtual event we want to tell them about, and then a secondary ad, which is 50 to 80 words with no CTA button, and then the outro, which again, hopefully is pleasant. Could you explain how you align with brands and how, just if you haven't read any of our newsletters, Ari writes ads that sound like they aren't ads. They sound like she's talking to, she's actually recommending the product. A lot of the brands we work with are actually aligned to our our values we've actually used the product before we actually enjoy it so it doesn't feel like we're writing an ad it just feels like we're writing a recommendation to our audience so how do you think about when you write an ad i think it's easy for me because i spend my day recommending technology and then in my past we also are invested in some technology so for me if it's a software that i liked enough in my day job to add to a store and a software that i have to spend my whole day using then I liked it so much that I knocked on their their door like a year ago and said, could I please give you some money? Because I think this is going to work really well. Then I'm invested in it. And then one day when they come to ask to sponsor Go to Millions, it's a no brainer because I've already for free recommended it for over a year. So for me, I take so much pride in my tech stack. I call it like my core personality trait. And we're very careful with who we let sponsor us because if I recommend you one product and you buy it and you hate it, you should hate me. Like I've ruined like the entire trust. So I very much care about what we recommend and then how we recommend it. We have on my Friday newsletter, I have a tool of the week and that's a different type of ad unit. 
And that's where I say, this is the tool of the week. I explain why, I explain how I use it or what stores I use it on. And then for the other ads and the other two um, newsletters, it's sometimes funny, always hopefully more clear than funny, and then always hopefully as short as possible. The way to think about also monetizing a creator is there's two different ways. There's ads. You can get your media asset sponsored by a sponsor, which Ari is talking about. And then the other one is direct revenue, something that you sell straight from your newsletter. So whether that's a course whether that's an event, whether that's a product that you end up building, like Mr. Beast building Feastables, like Emmer Chamberlain building Chamberlain Coffee, that'll be using your audience to sell a product. But then there's the ad unit too. So the, the way we what work week the way work week thinks about it is you have to have different streams of revenue. You sh- should have ads that are happen. And we're, for those who don't know work week, that's the who we were back by work week we're creators for work week so we work with work week they make you the operational function behind us but the way we function is the way they we get revenue is first ads second figure out direct revenue and especially in a market like this where it's a little harder ad properties are a little harder to come by except for ari because she sells out all the time but for other creators it's harder to come by so you have to start thinking about direct revenue where you start doing more events, more of these community building things, more of the things where you can use your audience to to pull. And one thing we're really careful of is even if it wasn't legally required, we always make sure to call out sponsored by. We always do a hashtag. We always like, we don't try to sneak the ad in there. We give it its own section because I think that's so stupid, especially if you click a link and you didn't even know you're clicking an ad and especially my audience is marketers, then they see the UTMs, they see the sponsored, and it's just so, I think it's very rude. And it's not to mention illegal and all the 45 things you shouldn't do. I just think it's not the way to get someone to trust you enough to do the thing you need them to do once they've taken the click. So we're very careful to be transparent that this is a sponsored ad for a free newsletter. And I think people are smart, especially our audience of marketers are smart, that if something's free, you are the product. And I think that they're okay with that because hopefully we've made it a good time and that we've given them what we've said we would give them and that we've made it really clear the ways we are able to monetize this and to make it exist. And people like to support things that they prefer exist. So we are really careful to just not lie. How do you consistently create content every week? I wish I had a beautiful content calendar and a plan and that I didn't write my newsletter the night before. I always write my newsletter the night before, and I would like to say I'll fix that, but I don't think I will. And I do think there's some beauty in a real-time journal, in a real-time, like, this is what I talked about today, or this is a brand I just shopped, or what I saw when I was digging into the code base to see if they use this exact app. Whatever it's going to be, I don't always plan what I'm going to say, but I'm very careful. I always carve out three hours, two hours, one hour, whatever it is, I write my newsletter from idea to scheduled in the same sitting. So I don't write it even in a Google Doc. I write it in our ESP. I see how it's formatted and I go line by line. I write the subject line, the pretext, and then I go in order. And for me, it's very important because I'm trying to make it seem like I'm talking. And I literally sit there and I like whisper to myself, I'm like, 
bonjour millionaire and it's it's so annoying to work around she does it's so i'm i'm really i'm awful but i very much care that it's one stream of consciousness and that it's not over edited and if there is a typo i am okay with that versus me like editing to shit whatever i'm working on so it's very important that i write in one place in one like session of peace and then that we just ship it out what are some of the tools you're using to become a 10x grader? What is your ESP you're using? What are the design tools you're using? What is the podcasting stuff you're using? Yeah. I'll go first and then you go because you, I think, are much more like stacked up. But I use Sailthrough as my ESP. Notion is where we keep all the information we need for the ad placement and our communication with our sales team. Uh, we use Slack for communication with that same team. I use Figma for the design of anything. I like. I make my own banner and I'm quite awful at Figma, which I think hopefully adds to the charm because you can always tell I made it. Um, and then we're using on the podcast front, Restream is how we stream live to our LinkedIn. And we are using a Sure microphone. That's not sponsored, but it is true. And what about you? Your stack is way bigger. On top of all the things you have, I think the only things I would add is we use Riverside for recording. We use Canva. I use Canva a lot or Mematic to create memes and graphics for the newsletter. I don't think that the tools make the creator. I think the the creator has to make the tools. I think you the tools are not going to make you a 10x better creator. I think you have to have great content to do that. But this it definitely enables us to be more efficient, the tools that we have set up and the processes. So having a process set up is, I think, more important than having the tools set up. I think you can go a lot of ways about it. You can have the fanciest newsletter. You can have the most plain text. But for us, ours are very much in the style we've chosen as our branding that we are very careful of. But outside of that, every newsletter looks a little different because it has something different written within it. And so... We need to emphasize in a different way sometimes. And I always use a strike through when I'm talking to myself, like little things that I've invented as part of my branding, but it always looks different and it could look fancier, but then it wouldn't look like I scheduled it and wrote it myself and made that fugly graphic. So we try to keep it like in our hands and no one touches our newsletter, but us, no one writes our ads, but us. No one can write anything but us. And that's very important because in the world of is this her, is this him, it's always us because it's just, I think, why people are there is to hear from the person, not from the person and their like really well-staffed team, even if it would be more perfect. I think the biggest thing of a creator is putting out your authentic self. And we talked about a little bit before, but expertise, showing your true expertise and creating consistently, giving out that free information, giving great things. But it is pressure as a creator to consistently put out great things for your audience. So how do you think about putting out great things all the time? Do you ever reuse content? How do you come up with new ideas? What's your process for that? I wish I thought each one of my newsletters was amazing. I think that sometimes you're more interesting than others and sometimes you're speaking of a topic and you wish you had said it in a different way or you think of it differently a week later and for us we have people joining us every day my newsletter is growing at around 200 people a day yours is growing at like 600 or 500 people a day and so for us there's always someone new who has less context and who has to catch us for the first time wherever we are so 
I've been writing three times a week to the same audience since June, meaning I've given them my best ideas. And then my best ideas, if you didn't catch it that week, you won't see it maybe ever again, or maybe you'll see it in a new way next week. So I always just am really careful to like when even if I'm writing and saying like my husband, I always hyperlink Daniel because I don't assume they know who my husband is, even though if you read my newsletter, it's he's like all I talk about. I wish I'll work on it. Um, And then but we're just really careful that everyone's in a different place. But if this was your first time with us, hopefully it's good enough to see the next one. I'm not opposed to repurposing. I just don't as a rule because every night when I went to go write my newsletter, I would find a way to use last week's then. So it's a it's a bad out for someone who's a procrastinator, but I'm not against it. What about you? How do you think of it? I think about it in two ways. I think that one, you have to write for your new audience and your current audience and you can't, you can't separate. This is the same as LinkedIn, but also I always remind myself that nobody's going to remember your 30 second send of your newsletter. Nobody's going to remember your 20 second send. So if you put it out again in a new, with a new spin or a new remix, they're probably not going to remember you did that unless they're a true raving fan, they'll call you out. But most of the time I've, I do this on LinkedIn all the time. I'll repost a meme that I posted three weeks ago and everybody's still like, Oh, great meme. And I'm like, you saw it two weeks ago. So the reason why it's okay is a lot of people think that you have the empathy that a lot of people don't actually pay attention to you all the time. They only paying attention for you that slim moment and they forget about you. That's why creating consistently matters. That's why putting out content consistently matters is to keep reminding them that you exist. You put out great things. You have expertise. That's why you can create once every two months. You have to be on this rigid, rigid schedule of creating. One thing I want to go also ask is what is the hardest part for you of being a creator? I think some people are very mean, which is, I think, helpful because it keeps you honest and very humble. But I'm always scared that what I'm doing isn't interesting enough or that if I get feedback and I don't like it, I think it's hard to just be like yourself on the Internet, especially if there's someone who doesn't like it. What about you? Number one hardest thing is creating consistently. I think people underestimate. That's why you can become a top 50 podcast by producing 11 podcasts because most people won't produce 10 podcasts. So if you can create consistently and create more than other people and stay longer, you'll be ahead as a creator. I don't think my podcast, and I'm being honest here, is the best podcast in the world, but I've lasted longer than probably 95% of podcasts out there. So I got the edge of being consistent, being able to create for a long time. And also I got the reps to become better and better at podcasting, which a lot of people I see out there will create five podcasts and then you'll never hear from them again. And then they're, they'll produce a podcast or they'll produce a podcast every month and they're saying, why am I not in the top 50? It's from consistently creating content to be able to do that. And then number two, I think getting over that people are going to hate you. Like that's part of the game. And if people don't hate you, you're branding for, you can't brand for everybody. It's a hard, a hard thing to do. So pick your people and the way to pick your people is just be authentically you and the your people will gravitate towards you. So, but it is hard. We get a lot of great emails, but we do 
get that one that will ruin our day once in a while. That's I got sad. one today. My unsubscribe at the bottom of my email says, want to ruin my day, unsubscribe. And someone decided to do that, of course, fine. But then they wrote me and they said, I hope I ruined your day. And then they screenshotted that. And to I think that's funny. I think it's mean. But I'm like, you did. Thank you. But I think we've seen it all. And if someone's going to take the time to read your newsletter, then to unsubscribe and then to make it known that they unsubscribed, then like, bye. <laughs> like, I don't. It's funny. But it, it still stings. I won't lie to you. One thing that's really hard is staying relevant with your content. I think the more you create, you have to stay up to date with trends, stay up to date with what's going on. How are you currently staying up to date with the new and improving things in e-commerce and go go to market? For us, we control so many stores that we're able to see what's working and we run a core tech stack. And so whenever we want to change anything in that stack, we'll change it on one store, see the result, and then we would make a more universal sweep. So that's on the tech side on the like what's in the know for me i'm in e-com so every time i land on a website i always click accept cookies and i love to see ads and i love to see websites and at night when i'm watching tv my favorite thing to do is to add things to my cart and to see the email flow that's going to happen and what happened on the website and then i'm married to you and all we do is talk about this stuff so you're a good source for me. How do you say she, one thing? She forgot to add that she actually goes through the whole purchase cycle and says that's market research. I she, do. And I like to see the packaging. So I have to order it. You know, it's like, for the, this is for research. It's purposes. for my career, Daniel. Exactly. So that's the biggest part that um, I respect it. I think you're in e-commerce. If you were in is, something else recorded, you respect it. I respect it. Okay. What are the qualities of great content to you? Because you write some great content. What are the qualities of great content? I think great content is easy to understand and it's really clear. And hopefully it's taught you or shown you something you didn't think of, even if it's a joke or advice. But I am on the Internet to see something I didn't see at that day or to learn something new. What about you? I feel like you've got the eye. I think there's four things that make great content. One... And it could fit into either bucket. It's better to fit into all buckets, but it could fit in either bucket. I think one, is the content educational? Did it add something educational? Did it make someone better at their job? Did they get something that they can use today? The second piece of it, is it entertaining? And entertaining doesn't mean it have to be funny and humorous. It just means that it made someone laugh or made someone feel better about themselves or made it gave them a break in their work day entertainment doesn't have to be funny the third the third part is it did it inspire someone did it inspire someone to do a certain action did it inspire them to jolt them to get into marketing or do this content marketing thing and the last thing i would say is it engaging does it bring in the audience does it ask questions does it bring the the community into the content that so the easy ways to do it is adding a CTA at the end, a CTA call to action that says like, what are your thoughts or polling your audience or stuff like that, where it brings in ask community question. Also writing stuff that it invokes. A, and actually I'll add one thing. Does it invoke emotional response? I think that's the biggest thing. Does it make someone feel happy, sad? I know that's bad to say, but like all those things like People have reacted to things that annoy them. People react to things that are happy. People act to things that are excited. Does it evoke emotion? 
that's why he makes great content to me. What advice would you give to aspiring creators? People are trying to get into this, become a creator. People are thinking about creating content. I think that you should start by thinking about who you look up to and what content you like, and then thinking about how they do it and that's your format and then whatever the topic is going to be it's going to be hopefully what you know best or what you enjoy and for me I never wanted this to be my career I just wanted this to be something I could do to meet new people and to kind of have my voice heard and so I'm lucky that it's become something that is helping my career and that is a vessel in our ship station or whatever um i don't know but for me i i think you should just start with who you like what you know and then you can go forward and monetize it later what about you honestly i was begging ari to be a creator for two years i've told her actually since we met i th i thought you could be a great creator and you you always but that's because you're my like he's got faith you know no it's not because that she's a great creator so what are the the pluses, the pros that have happened since you've started creating content? What have you seen in your career? Has it helped you? What are some like positives of becoming I a content creator? Met some really cool people. I have, I think, created a lot of things that I'm very proud of and that I'm grateful is in the world. And I also, I think, have garnered more respect because I was always behind the scenes and I, I have felt a shift in even how I'm treated by the agencies we work with or the tech partners we use, I feel like I am more confident in the way I do other parts of my life because I'm able to speak like more freely. What is a crater hill you would die on? It's very important to not be boring and you should really optimize to make sure you can read it through your own content before you've sent it out. So for me... If I've written something and if I'm like, wow, this is long or this is dragging, and then I know it probably isn't good for someone who cares even less than me. So don't be boring and like be careful not to be boring. What about you? One of the biggest hills that I die on is that nothing beats patient and consistency when it comes to becoming a creator. I've seen some of the best creators out there that just faded away because they weren't consistent enough and they weren't patient enough or they expected results tomorrow. You need time to build up audience. You need time to build up trust. It doesn't happen overnight. You can hack the algorithm to gain followers, but you can't hack the algorithm to gain trust. I think that happens with creating consistently, showing your expertise, showing that you're willing to show up every single day, showing that you're willing to engage with your audience it's not something that oh today i wake up and i want 100k followers and now i have i'm a great creator community it it takes time to build that trust to be a great creator what's the difference between you for creating content for fun so creating content versus creating content as a creator with a deadline a sponsor what's the difference for you I think when you're creating something for the art of it, you can release it whenever you want and whenever it feels ready. And when you're creating something and it's more as a business, you have to send it when it's supposed to be sent. And you sometimes have to send it before you're madly in love with it. So I think it helps you to ship things out more quickly, but also sometimes ship things out that maybe you would have loved 
to scrap and start over. But I think it ultimately leads to a better work of like a collective of work because you have so many different types of content and nothing's too manicured. But it's definitely different when you're posting something or writing something for the love of it versus for the love of it, but also on a strict deadline with a word count or whatever it might be. One thing I've also realized that I think is in the ethos of work week, but also the ethos of us is creating content, not for the sponsor, but just creating content for ourselves and the sponsors added in. Because I think a lot of people make the mistake that they try to create the perfect content for the sponsors that are coming in instead of just being themselves and keep creating. And if the sponsor doesn't like that, then they shouldn't be sponsoring us. So I think like, the sponsors should be sponsored us because of who we are. They align to our values. It's not because we need to have certain content for for those sponsors. What do you look for in a, a brand partnership? What makes a great par- brand partnership for you? For me, it's always a good step if I know who the sponsor is before I have to research who the sponsor is. So I prefer, especially if it's tech, that I either use it or have heard of it or someone I respect has done one of those two things. And then... In general, I like creative control and I really dislike losing creative control. So a good partner to me respects the voice, respects the way we run our work and wants to be with us for a long time because I don't want to be a rent-a-creator and I don't want you to be a rent-a-creator. I want us to be only speaking of the things we know about and care about and only pushing the things that we think are actually helpful versus I would rather miss an ad slot than push something that I don't believe in. And I know you would too. It's hard to align to topics. And I've done this before. And I made this mistake on a panel before where I decided to do a panel with guests that I had no clue of the topic. And I totally flopped on the topic and I, cause it was for the sponsor and I'll never do that again because I, I want to authentically display like what I know and expertise or I invite guests that authentically know to speak on those things in on behalf of, yeah. of me. And like tactically too, because we're really busy and I have a full-time job, anyone who wants like four edit rounds is not going to work well with me. Aside from the fact that I get offended, I just genuinely don't have the time. So I need someone who trusts that we know how to say what we want to say. The last question I have for you, and then we can go into some Q&A after this, is what are you thinking about the future? Like, what type of products are you thinking about? Where does you want to go to millions to be? What is your end goal as a creator? I don't know. I think I'll get to know, I call them the millionaires, but I'll get to know my millionaires over time. It would be really cool for us to have, I was thinking about this even last week, maybe I should spin up an Instagram, but even if seven people follow it, I don't care. It's strictly for free and for fun, where it's just something I bought and my experience with the shopping experience of it. And if I would recommend it, yes or no. And that's the entire Instagram. And maybe that can be its own little world. And maybe my newsletter will always look exactly the same where it's kind of who knows on Sunday, who knows on Wednesday, and then this like really tight Friday. And I'm still finding my way with everything that's not written. So I don't know, but I know I really like doing this and I like who I'm meeting. I don't want to decide what the future is until I know exactly who's reading. And the more people I get to meet and the more feedback I get, even if it's not positive, I think teaches us how to go. 
it took us a long time to get to where we are as creators, but I think you could start really small. You could start that LinkedIn page today. You could start that podcast today. It doesn't, you don't have to think about being, making money off of it. The biggest thing is that I've seen is people who are actually passionate about this topic and expertise. So my biggest recommendation is just start, start that LinkedIn page, start that podcast, start that newsletter. Even if you're writing to three or four people, you're getting reps in, you're learning, you're you're learning how to write better. You're learning what works for you. You're learning how to get in. The, and the biggest thing to learn is to get in the habit, like post every day, write a newsletter once a week, get on a podcast once a week. Once you've built that muscle, you become a better and better creator. And eventually you'll refine your content for your audience to be able to come in and get sucked into your community. But a lot of people think that you have to set up a LinkedIn page, a newsletter, a podcast to be a great creator today but i recommend just start small start one channel start focused even if it's not to be sponsored and then grow that audience because i think it takes six to 12 months to eventually start or not i mean for me i don't identify as a creator like i understand that that's what we're doing but i think of myself as a marketer and that helps me to speak confidently about what i'm about to write because i'm not thinking about the craft of what i'm writing i'm thinking about what we're trying to say. And I know for you too, we care so much about if we're good marketers versus we would need to be like famous. Like, I don't think either of us cares about that at all. We're doing it for, cause I honestly, Ari can contest this. I I'm always consuming marketing content. I'm always looking at memes. I'm always trying to do that. I, I do it for the love of marketing and the love of helping other marketers learn marketing. Cause my biggest ethos was, when I got into marketing, college didn't teach me enough about marketing. My first job, I didn't learn. I didn't know where the, what resources to go to. I read best practices from some of the best companies in the world, and it didn't put me ahead. It kept me average until I started doing stuff and starting a side hustle. Then I started learning marketing, but I want people to be ahead of the game learning I wish I learned psychology earlier. I wish I learned how to create content earlier. I wish I learned copywriting earlier. So giving that to the community, I care more about that and inspiring the next generation of marketers or marketers that currently like need to learn another section of marketing than making money at the end of the day. Well, thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next week to hear more great insights from marketing's coolest operators. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the Marketing Millennials podcast and giving it a five-star rating. It helps bring more marketers into our community.